0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a... mm, Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TFO Football
1: Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Hi, Joe. How are you? Fine, thank you. Well done. Have a nice day? Yeah. Good football, wasn't it? Uh, the football was great. Yeah, okay. We're also joined...
2: By J.J. Bull, the Bull Man.
1: Hello, J.J. Hello. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm wonderful.
1: You're sitting where no- Seb would normally sit, aren't you?
2: I'm. I am sitting where not Seb would normally sit. What happened to Seb today? Uh, well, oddly, uh, was at the zoo on a day off. Yes, he was. And very unlike him to peer into the lion's enclosure, but you know, if you lean in too far. Gravity and balance take over.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And he's not got the best centre of gravity anyway, has he? Uh,
2: He seems well balanced to me. Sure. But when there's lions involved, it's very easy to to go over the edge.
1: Yeah, that's right. So if you're looking for Seb, uh, you'll no longer find him at the Overhead Lion. You'll find him in the lion enclosure of London Zoo, which I believe is actually encased in glass. But for the purposes of this, it's not. So there you go. That's where Seb is. But we're delighted to have JJ today. And uh, we're going to talk through Belgium-Italy, big fun to be had there. And also Switzerland-Spain, even more fun to be had there. Uh, Later we'll look forward to the semi-final, which will be between Italy and Spain. I'm very excited about that game. Uh, But let me tell you what else I'm excited about, Alex. I'm excited about The Athletic, aren't you? Uh, Yeah, constantly. What have you read recently which has excited you on The Athletic?
3: Uh, well, Michael Cox did a tactical preview of the quarterfinals, mm. um, which was a nice overview of... Did he get it right? Did he get it right?
1: Have, uh, yeah. Uh, of course he did. He's always getting it right, isn't he, old Michael Cox? I like Michael Cox's stuff.
3: There's some nice stats in there as well, and it, it's not the obvious stuff. There's a few things that are worth kind of looking out for rather than things that you'd automatically see, and obviously there's two um, quarterfinals to go, so yeah. it's, it's worth reading still.
1: Well, there you go. Check out Michael Cox on The Athletic. And do you know, JJ, that there's currently... Uh, An offer that you could uh, you could take if you wanted to. It's one pound per month for six months, which is a great offer. Is less, I would say, than you would spend on a new car. (laughs) (laughs) It is less than a new car. It is less than that. Yeah, and loads of other things. In fact, it's
2: less than most things. What will you use more? Hmm? Car to drive to the football or a subscription? To The Athletic.
1: I'd say you'd use that almost every day. You use it in the morning. You drive your car in the morning? I don't think so. I don't think so. Don't do both at the same time. But do visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to get that uh, subscription deal for £1 per month for six months to The Athletic. And a new car. And a new car.
2: But for now,
1: uh, I'm very excited to talk about the the games. They're confusing football at times. It was strange. I didn't really understand what was happening. And we're going to dig deep into the happenings of today's first two quarterfinal games with JJ Bull and Alex Stewart. I leave you on the warm hands and the cool embrace of Italy, I think we should say today, yeah. Where else to begin then? Uh, But with uh, Belgium 1 to Italy, Uh, JJ, Italy were the better team. (laughs) I know that seems straightforward, uh, but even though this game, you know, it was uh, tighter than the previous games, they still created so many chances against quite a slow uh, Belgian defense. It was great fun.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. The first half was one of the most fun games to watch for the entire tournament. And some of my friends were texting me saying that uh, it was really boring. The second half, they thought it was really boring. I thought it was mm. entertaining. They said it was very defensive. Yeah. I thought they were excellent and they were defended by attacking really high up the pitch. Yeah, and we covered this in a. TIFO IRL uh, preview video we did um, about Italy and just to say I got almost everything right but it's all in there and um, that's exactly how they do it, they defend by by attacking keeping the opposition pushed right back And Belgium early on were trying to test that by getting balls over the top to Lukaku um, a couple of times it seemed to have worked but didn't really result in any goals for them as far as my am aware, they scored mm. a different way um, and then Italy just had control of the game and just kept Belgium far away from them they couldn't, they couldn't get to them at all that's the thing. And like the Belgium defence, I mean, it's for Tonga and Alderweireld and I don't even know where Vermeulen was for the last four years or something.
1: Yeah. Japan. Japan, I think. Apparently he plays in the same team as Iniesta.
2: Oh yeah, there, uh, Vessel,
1: Kobe. Yeah, Vessel, Kobe. There we go.
2: That's the one. I don't know, when you look at uh, when you look at the Belgium team, like they have some great players. Lukaku, obviously, De Bruyne um, are the absolute standouts. Tielemans, I think you could put him there as well. But, there are lots of weaknesses and lots of averageness, lots of medium in there. And the back line, like, you're only really as strong, I always think, as your goalkeeper. The goalkeeper is quite... Uh, Courtois is very good, but the players in front of him aren't... Like, you can see that they want to play a high line so they can control possession, but you can't do it against certain teams. That's definitely why I think Chiesa started for Italy. He yeah. I mean, it was good when he came on as a sub the other day. But you can just test him with balls of top and Chiesa was very really good this evening. And you saw how much damage uh, Spinazzola and Insignia were doing. Yeah. And then there was a part well, in Insignia's goal... Is because the centre backs are backing off, they're not putting pressure when they should step on. They're not because they're worried, maybe because they're worried about pace. I think you were saying something about that, Alex, but the team with Man City and Fernandinho. Um, yeah, so there's a stepping off of them and giving them room to take that shot because they're old.
1: Yeah, I mean they are yeah. super old. Uh, speaking of a player that isn't old though. I wanted to ask you Alex about Marco Verratti because he started today again over Locatelli which almost seems unfair in some ways because Locatelli had such a bright start to the tournament. We can understand why though and also Seb has left us this uh, from the Lions Den has left us this lovely little uh, stat in here saying that uh, in terms of shot creating actions per 90 uh, Verratti is by far the highest in the tournament also 4.5 key passes per 90 which is again the highest of anyone. Uh, I think De Bruyne was second with 3.3 so you can really see the impact there. And obviously, while he wasn't playing in the first couple of games, he's become sort of the driving force for an Italian team which just seemed to create so much in games. Yeah, so uh, what we know about Verratti already
3: is that he's really good at passing mm. and that that range of passing is short, medium, and long. So he can keep the ball ticking over, and particularly with Jorginho, who I thought excelled this evening, mm. uh, they can maintain possession. He can also look to spring players moving into the wide areas with those little lobbed passes over the top, or yeah. he can play clever through balls. But he the, does it all. He does it all. But the other thing that he does, um, and we were trying to remember at what point he had done this in a recent game, but there was uh, an instance just before um, the one of the Italian goals where he nips in and steals possession from his pressing and then plays a sort kind of very smart pass out to the right-hand side. He did it against another team, but it was out to his left. Mm. So that that kind of aggressive snapping towards the ball, winning it back, whether it's an interception or a tackle, but then having the wherewithal to immediately play a short pass to release a player into space. That means that Italy can play this incredibly high and aggressive line because they've got a ball yeah. winner who's operating 10 yards outside the opposition box. Like that's quite remarkable. And... Yes, I think Locatelli did really well. I'm I'm a big fan of how Locatelli plays, but he tends to sit off a little bit deeper. Verratti's got this aggression which allows him and also Barella to push up and really dominate those half spaces uh, on either side with Jorginho kind of anchoring and playing balls over the top. And that added
1: additional aggression has really, really suited Italy. Here's a question, because we've seen in this tournament lots of teams play three at the back. Mm. and the last time we were here, we were chatting about England and Germany. You know, England, uh, I suppose, famously now, matched up Germany's three, and we've heard from you before and from JJ before that that seems to be a really good thing to do when you're facing good teams who play three at the back for a whole assortment of reasons. Italy didn't do that Mm. today, and I just wanted to understand what the kind of benefits of the opposite are, because they still very clearly had lots of control over the game. They had more possession, Belgium's wingbacks didn't seem to trouble them in the way that Germany's did versus Portugal, for example. What, what are the benefits of staying as a four?
3: So the benefits of staying as a four are predicated on the quality of player that you have. So there are a couple of things here that Italy were able to do by staying in a four. One of them is that their natural phase of play is to push Spinazzola very, very high on the left and tuck Di Lorenzo back almost as like a right-sided centre-back. In yeah. fact, in one other game they played Toloi as a right-back when he is effectively a centre-back for Atalanta. So they do have this asymmetrical thing which does effectively leave them with three at the back because the right-sided player maintains the width higher up, Chiesa or Berardi, and then the left-wing Back does that or the left the fullback does that so they've kind of got a three shape anyway it's kind of the best of both worlds it is the best of both worlds and I think this is one of the things and also someone like Jorginho can drop back and form that three if both fullbacks are pushing up high which they also do so you get the same benefits in build-up shape but you can also maintain dominance in the midfield because you have a three on two in the midfield unless the wing backs tuck inside The other thing is, and again to go back to it, that this Italian, uh, sorry, this Belgian defence is slow. And so while they're looking to play a high line and the wing-backs are looking to push up, that means that in this game Insigne and Chiesa could occupy quite wide positions, sort of tucked in behind those wing-backs, which would then allow them to run in behind and then the Italian fullbacks would push up. Now, if the Italian, fool, if the Italians had gone to a three-four-three, they could still have done that, but then they would have been three-on-three three all the time at the back without that additional man in midfield. Yeah. So yeah. it made perfect sense in this instance because Italy could continue to play the way they wanted to play, but they could also target a particular weakness of Belgium's.
1: You know, when I look at you, all I can see is Gattuso. <laughs> That's all I can see now it was a very sometimes eloquent maybe good explanation sometimes I no, mean yeah, yeah. for listeners Alex has uh, uh, shaved much of his uh, top hair off but he's got the bottom hair on the face there the beard hair and uh, as you were going through that lovely explanation thank you for that. You just glazed over. All I could see was mm. Gatuso is explaining uh, tactics to me. It was very it was lovely. It was a lovely moment. I want you to do the same now, JJ, but I want you to do it about Barella, who scored a lovely goal and he sort of squeezed through those three defenders, popped it round up into the top corner. He was a player that you were very excited to see before the tournament began. He was he was your pick in a way.
2: He was. I mean,
1: he was Roberto Mancini's pick, but he was kind of your pick.
2: And James Horncastle told me about him as well. Sure. Still, you know. Yeah, but it was mostly me. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, he had a great season playing for Inter Milan uh, with Antonio Conte, <clears throat> Excuse me. So he played uh, yeah, played for Inter Milan last season uh, under Conte, where you have to do a lot of running. even in the midfield three um, or midfield two, I should say. Mm. And uh, yeah, he starts to run a lot under Conte. It's what he demands of you. He does that every single week and still has energy left over. It's just a naturally very energetic, full of stamina, the boy. Yeah. That's what he's got. And uh, so he can run box to box. And you can see, like, I think a lot of people realise he would be uh he's 24 so he's going to come into his peak years as a midfielder now. Yeah. Great age for this tournament. Does that make sense? I don't know, I say so. That's a yeah. good
1: age for a tournament. Yeah. 25 for the. It's next always a good one. age if you're ready. Is I that expect. better?
2: 25? Uh I don't the know. World Cup it'd
1: be 25.
2: There's a thing where you're like young until you hit like 23 24 and you're like, "Oh, I haven't filled your potential yet." Yeah. And it happens like, overnight.
1: Yeah. Um that is 24. I think that's a good point. If you're a, if you're a great exciting prospect, you get away with it until you're 25. And then when you're 25, if you haven't fulfilled that potential, that's it, he's over. You're yeah,
2: done. and as you, you still think they're young. But anyway, Barella is definitely... So he, he set up the um, Insignia's goal as well. He gets an assist for that, even though it's all Insignia, with the stuff he does. But yeah, it's, uh, you won't get him away from Inter Milano, because he's so important to them there. Uh, but he is outstanding. He's full of energy, really determined. You see he's got a great touch and will happily run in behind. And like Alex was saying with the way that Italy play, the right-sided uh, winger will pull out wider... To leave that kind of half space between him and the striker free. And that's where Barella goes. That's where he plays in the right midfield. So he gets into that positions. And there's goals that he scored in the build-up to the tournament where he was running through and going. The one against Czech Republic really good. But he drives into that space, that's mm. left. Mm. Hits one that's deflectors and goes in. Um, yeah. One of those midfielders that's kind of good at everything. There seems to be a lot of midfielders that are specific. One role. Don't do one thing. Whereas Barella seems to be able to do all of the things that a midfielder should be able to do. Yeah.
1: I guess also for an opposition, it's just like having another player to worry about beyond yeah, the ball front ends room, of the pitch. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, super stuff. Do you like him, Alex? Oh, hugely. You like him hugely. <laughs> Do elaborate. Well, what he said. The same. Okay. Well, well let no, me I ask d- you a different question. Okay. Though, because you don't want to answer that one. Let me let me ask you this one. Spinazzola, Yeah, crucial to the way that Italy play. I'm going to say it. Crucial. Injured. He went mm-hmm. off injured. Uh, poor guy, he looked like he was crying on the stretcher on the way off. It, it indicates to us perhaps that the tournament is over, or at least that he thinks that his tournament is over. And he's been such a bright spark in that team. I mean, that's kind of lucky for Spain in a way, isn't it? Whoever Italy are going to face next, is he possible to replace? Uh,
3: he's not possible to replace. Okay. In, in terms of how they play, his ability to act effectively as a left winger uh, when they're in possession and attacking, but also come back and make absolutely crucial defensive blocks. I mean, the block he made off Lukaku was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, That is just very, very unusual. Uh, under Fonseca at Roma, he was playing as a wing-back, and I think that's where he developed a lot of this kind of up and down, um, you know, being able to work both ends of the pitch. He developed his attacking game enormously under Fonseca. Uh, And, uh, you know, as JJ said, the the whole kind of shift of Italy's asymmetry is perfectly created to allow everybody to fulfill those functions. So maintaining the width on the right, that leaves the channel for Barella, but that only works because Spinazzola maintains the width on the left-hand side. So it may be that what Italy do is they tilt it and they get uh, Di Lorenzo to play much more aggressively, on the right-hand side and have yeah. someone maybe like Bastoni or Toloy. So Toloy is played as a as a left-sided center-back for Atalanta, so he can push up and overlap, which is yeah. what Atalanta center-backs do. Uh Bastoni can play on the left side of a of a central defense and so has that left foot ability that might mean that yeah. if they tilted it, it kind of works, but it it requires a rearrangement
1: for them. Because C- otherwise it's Emerson, right?
3: Otherwise, it's Emerson and... is not
1: necessarily a bad thing. I just, it's just obviously Well, it's he's not. just not
3: nearly as good. Sure. So, you know, do you go with an inferior player and try and make the system exactly work? Or do you tweak the system in a way that does kind of make sense? Because if it's Toloi, for example, he still gets forwards.
1: Mm.
3: He just doesn't get forwards as much. But all you need to do is change the way the wingers play... And it still kind of works fairly well. Verratti still pushes up a lot. Barella could hold slightly back. I don't know. But it definitely makes
1: Spain's task slightly easier. Would you be very worried about that if you were Roberto Mancini, JJ? Uh,
2: I think he'll just have a straight replace. I think Emerson will go straight and replace him in exactly the same way Spinazzola plays. But like Alex says, he's not the same player. Because Spinazzola is essentially just an every-position footballer yeah. who happens to get shunted into that left position. Yeah. I don't think it doesn't matter that he's right footed I don't think that's really relevant It just happens to be that he is But he can still play in that position um, What you might get is a little bit of variation In how they get the ball in earlier from the left wing But I don't know they're all about that Trying to get the ball in early at all It's about getting to those positions Getting the shape mm-hmm. and then going from there And then Spinazzola rotates With other players around him that yeah. In part of the pattern when they get to that last bit of the pitch
3: It's interesting because there are Quite a few wrong sided left backs At this tournament And yeah. Mayla has been particularly good but a lot of the time what they do is they drive infield and mm. they create underlapping runs or they're looking to play passes off their stronger foot infield towards players that are dropping off. Spenitzola doesn't do that. He maintains the width and he can play with both feet. So he's quite unorthodox as a wrong-sided fullback.
1: It's just really good.
3: Yeah.
2: Really. Where does he play? Spenitzola? Yeah. Roma. 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 Yeah.
1: <clears throat> there we go. Lovely. I mean, not lovely. Sorry for him. He's been great.
2: Yeah, it really sucks. He's out. Um, it's been a lot of injuries, hasn't it, JJ? Yeah, it seems to be a lot of muscle injuries, but I mean, not a doctor, but I assume <laughs> that's something that would be a natural consequence of a season sure. where you're playing a game every three days and having yeah. to sleep in a COVID bubble all of the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, I'm really curious to see next year the World Cup because been played in November and December, right in the middle of the season. Yeah. I mean, they will ha- have have had less of a summer in order to deal with that kind of break in the middle. But curious to see them play at an international tournament kind of midway through their season, stamina levels.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know if they've got this that kind of idea where they're going to air condition the outside <laughs> to make it playable for the players. That's a that's a genuine thing I saw. They're trying to like air condition the outside <laughs> so they can. Play because you can't play when it's as hot as being in an oven. But they're air conditioning the stadiums, aren't they? No, but I mean, literally the air. Like... Do you
1: mean in the stadiums?
2: Uh, I think so. I think also outside. Yeah. I know this sounds, I know it's air conditioned outside. Like I've had a knock to the head, but like. I'm... Someone was telling me that I
1: got in a cab with someone and he was saying, the driver was saying he spent a lot of time in Qatar. He said that there'll be like, you know, air conditioned bus stops and then you don't like. You just people just won't go outside if they don't. You know they won't need to. Is what? He's yeah, thinking. it's too
2: hot to do anything. Yeah, this is why it's held at that time of the year anyway. But still, very, the stadiums very have all
1: got roofs, <laughs> haven't they? So they're gonna roof, roofs, roofs. So you can anyway. I don't know why we're talking about this. Let's move on.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, Belgium, disappointing. JJ, uh, they are ranked number one in the world. I will remind you that they are ranked number one in the world. But do when you look at that defense, as you've kind of mentioned already a little bit, you don't really think that, do you?
2: No, I think that's the thing. I I genuinely didn't think they. I know they're one of the favorites, and they've got like these great players. like I said, right, Denver number one and, in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's just I think there's just missing. I think the way Roberto Martinez makes them play, they don't really. There's no variation from that three four three really ever. I've um, there might be an occasional occasional tweaks. The changes he made late on, I couldn't really work out what the system is meant to be. It seemed to be more like, as Alex said, vibes. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of get that, like just throwing on Martin, uh, Dries Mertens, put him somewhere. That was somewhere exciting. In the front.
1: I was confu- I'm similarly oh, yeah. confused to you. I know that somebody in the chat said at the beginning as well it was anti football for the last twenty minutes. I assume they mean from Italy. You saying your friends thought like, that? I thought it was cool, man. I thought like suddenly everyone was just going for well, that's it. it.
2: Belgium was just trying to go from end to end. Get out of great. the midfield. Don't use midfield if you're losing. Just get the ball up front and get all your boys up the pitch. Yeah. And then Italy lock it down because they do. And then. The most weaselly thing you can do, and pretend to be injured every time you get sure. touched. Yeah, uh, but they win the game. It's the kind of thing that you said about Scotland and England players—that they should be um, accepting the ways of the weasel earlier. <laughs> I like I have to weasels. say the weasels are
1: very noble animals. Uh, yeah, I
2: think they are the most weaselly of the animals. They get
1: very they get unfair wrapper weasel. I would yeah. say also ferrets. Hmm. Sure.
2: But what do ferrets do that a weasel doesn't? What's a weasel? Why is a weasel? Climb up the
1: old trouser leg. That's what the ferret does, isn't it? Yeah. That's the ferret ferret thing about racing. The ferret ferret racing.
3: Yeah, I don't think you can race weasels because weasels are too... far more feral than ferrets. This aren't they? is the thing.
1: Yeah. Wait, I mean, oh, ferrets are domesticated, right? Yeah. Do you get wild ferrets?
2: Yeah, for sure. You
3: do. They just keep well, they... out of sight.
2: When <laughs> I mean, they were all originally wild. So. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: everything was
3: originally. Wild. They're only
2: domesticated. Although you don't get wild cows, do you? No. Or buffalo?
1: I mean, also dogs Dogs. The oryx didn't exist a in the way. Cow. Dogs are just domesticated wolves, right? Over a long period of time. Yeah. I genuinely don't know whether the ferret is is wild, whether you get wild ferrets or whether they are entirely domesticated. I'm sure there probably are wild ferrets. Someone in the chat will tell us. We'll pick that up in a couple of minutes' time. But until then, Alex, tell me about Belgium now because presumably I think it's too harsh to say this will be a rebuilding job but they are kind of at the end of that golden generation time, aren't they? I mean, like some of the more important players are growing older. We're all growing older.
3: They're a domesticated species of polecat. There you
1: go. They're a cat. Polecat. Um,
3: yeah, it's it's disappointing for them because obviously there is going to be a transition and you would kind of think that this tournament would be... The opportunity to particularly transition in some centre backs. You know, there are yeah. a couple of decent young Belgian centre backs. Who's left? People like oh, do you mean the defenders coming through or Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean I don't know, I just mean anyone other than the ones that played. <laughs> so someone like Edward Pletinks is good.
3: Um there's uh there's a guy at Bruges whose name I've forgotten. I should have prepared that. But, Lovely
1: city, but it it's sort
3: of a bit odd that you have you have younger centre backs who are left on the bench, and obviously Boyata and and Denia did something to fall out of favour. I didn't um, really notice anything. Not really, and and Denia or Denier, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, played pretty well in the international games up until the the beginning of the tournament, and yeah. and had that ability to kind of push forwards and, and carry the ball up. And he was a much more proactive centre-back in that back three. Mm. Of So he would be the middle one and he would be the one who would push up and contest the ball or push up and close down the striker if the striker was dropping off. Yeah, uh, And again, that was something the Belgium really weren't doing in this game. And JJ alluded to it earlier with the goal where they were backing off Insigne. If you're slow, that's because if you, you're worried that if you step up, you're going to get done for pace in the kind of close quarters. Yeah. So you back off and back off and try and narrow the angle and protect your goalkeeper in the assumption that the shot's going to end up being blocked or go wide. Um, so, yeah, Belgium have this kind of period of rebuilding, but they do still have, obviously, in Lukaku and De Bruyne, uh, Tielemans, you know, there is a spine of players there that are really good. Doku came on, carried the ball a huge amount. Sorry, he didn't come on, started. Carried the yeah. ball a lot. Does still need a little bit more end product, I think, but this was partly a function.
1: I it was quite fun.
3: He did. Um, Scouted Football, who, which is a, a great um, Twitter account, were, were saying that he has this little sort of drop, shoulder and spring, like mm. a rugby union winger, mm. which is very true. Um, but because of the way that Belgium weren't getting players forwards to support him, that a lot of those runs were ending up with him kind of going down a cul-de-sac because yeah. Di Lorenzo could just shepherd him away, and it wasn't you know there was not a lot to to help him out there.
1: Yeah. Um, was it uh, Machedli that you were thinking of at Club Brugge? Some people in the chat have uh, suggested that that might be the case. Or uh, I'm not sure how you say. No, it, he's
3: uh, he's a midfielder, I think. Oh. I, I can't remember. I'll, I'll. Who knows? Try and work it out. But yeah, it's. Um, I don't know They they presumably will now look away from Roberto Martinez. Mm. But I, I think again, it's it's going to be difficult. the The Belgian club game, I don't think, has any particularly strong coaches coming through or people that are naturally going to take that job on. Yeah. So it's hard to to see where it goes from here.
2: It does also seem to be the international management. The way to do it is to be. Like what Gareth Southgate is doing with England, and uh making sure you don't concede goals at all ever um you can say you can argue that the way that Belgium control games is their way of doing that rather than being defensive. they control it by having the ball so the opposition can't score, yeah, but I mean, if they just were really solid and tried to just only play on the counter, like Italy had more of the ball than them today, and they normally have more of the ball Belgium so that's. The thing they're used to having possession, but they, they're they not used to really being on, not the back foot, but yeah. having to play in that way. And it might be that they just need to have a little variation in how they play and maybe f- set up to pretend they're worse than they actually are. Get a polis in. Yes. What did you think? Sam Allardyce.
1: Yeah? Well, no. I prefer polis, I'll be honest.
2: Well, anyone like that. Um, not actually them, but there was someone <laughs> you could get in that would do a job... And I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with Martinez. Like he's one of the most oh, sure. highly regarded coaches, like in world football. Anyone you see talk about him says that, like obviously the ideas he, he has and the sessions he puts on and the way he seems to manage players and people, yeah, is really impressive. But I mean, that's Bel- Yeah, that's Belgium, kind of done now. <laughs>
1: that's Belgium. Yeah. This just in: Michael Cox and Tom Warville are speaking on Twitter. That's exciting, isn't it? Twitter's got that new thing where you can listen to them talk. Mm. So if you want to abandon us and go and listen to Michael Cox and Tom Warville, now's the time. But we'll be back after this
0: break to do more of the same thing. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based
1: live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human in customer service any time sounds like a real game changer if you ask me Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, okay, let's uh, carry things on now with uh, Switzerland won, won Spain. And of course, Spain went through on penalties. It was a bizarre penalty shootout, JJ, wasn't it? Let's do penalties first, because they were very, very odd. Switzerland were so good in their penalties against France, Uh, but they were pretty awful here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about was uh, I wanted to ask you to tell me to talk through the difference. I we mentioned this before, the difference between goalkeeper dependent penalties and goalkeeper independent penalties, because there seem to be some confusion from the Switzerland players.
2: I mean, there's you take a penalty however you want to, but mm-hmm. the important thing is that you smash it in the back of the net or at least sure. beat the goalkeeper. <laughs> right?
1: And that would be an independent.
2: Penalty, uh, well yeah. literally, when Would Alan Shearer should step up And take a penalty He said he would always Well what did he say I watched it the other day I can't remember exactly What he said So let's not paraphrase Fine. Alan Shearer sure. And talk ill of him I yeah. love Alan Shearer Okay Now If you're taking a penalty You want to just Think where you're going to put it. You often hear this. You want to know where you're going to put it. You don't make any changes to your mind when you're up to the, the ball, yeah. and then you don't change that mind. Don't change the mind and yeah. put the ball into the goal. Yeah, um, stuff it in. Yes. Yeah. So either. So what's a lot of penalty takers do now? Jorginho's one. Uh, I think Pogba does it. Bruno Fernandez does it. Yeah. Is they run up, they take one of these little hop, skip, jump things, and they use that time before they strike the ball to look at the goalkeeper. And in that little slowing down period, they see which way the keeper's going, and then they place it. The other way yeah and i think it's it a goalkeeper s-
1: dependent penalty that
2: is dependent on the goalkeeper so you are dependent on what you're yeah so you are making your mind up based on what the goalkeeper would do, is doing so you can beat them so like the psychology of the penalty is what's helping you win it basically yeah. rather than technique although it is technique that you're doing but that requires extra ice coolness doesn't it it requires supreme confidence yeah uh, probably just ap- actual arrogance yeah um real high technical uh, quality and belief also, because
1: you're not allowed to fake it anymore, are you? Do you remember there was like there was that uh, sort of controversial incident maybe ten, fifteen years ago, where a player did a fake run up and then pretended to shoot and didn't yeah. shoot, and the goalkeeper went, and then and they changed the rules so you can't do that. I think I
2: don't remember the exact rules, but yeah, you just can't. I think I think the the rule is like just don't take the Mick. That's yeah. the kind of thing yeah. you do. And... Uh, so they'll they'll do this, and Fernandez is very good at it. Jorginho is very good at it, and they roll in the goal because as soon as the goalkeeper pushes his weight to one side of his body, there's no way he's getting out of that. The balance is shifted; can't go anywhere else. Glad you're yawning while I'm telling you about this. And that's, <laughs> it rolls in the goal. that's what you do. But just put your foot through it. Yeah. Like if you're nervous and you're stepping up, like I think yeah. it was a Kanji's penalty. It was awful. Awful. I just like, there, were,
1: there were two from Switzerland. It looked like they were trying to wait for the keeper to go. But I think you described when we were watching them. It looked like they were lining up for the goalkeeper-dependent penalties where they wait to see where the keeper's going to go before they place it, but then placing it where the keeper went. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't it. make
2: any sense. I think maybe it's just a really good bit of um, goalkeeping by Unai Simón in, in this Spanish goal, where he's he moves his body from like side to side. Boop, 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 like that kind yeah. of... Oh, you can't see that in an audio platform, but he's doing that. You can hear
1: the bub-bub-bub. Zip,
2: zip, zip. And then the last like... Zip, is what's making him go that way, but he's already going that way. It's just bad. It's bad. And I think if you're nervous, and, you, and they look nervous, I think, stepping up as well, mm. it seemed less nervy in the last penalty that they took. Just put your foot through it. Yeah. Like especially nervous, nervous because at least, even if you go down the middle, if you hit it so hard that the keeper can't do anything about it, Yeah. the worst case is, I mean, you put it over, which they also do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they just kept
1: missing. It was awful to watch because uh, mm. Spain missed their or missed the first penalty. I think yeah, it was a post now, wasn't just it? Just gets at the post. Just yeah. gets at the post. And then uh, whoever went first for Switzerland scored enough. after that point, they just kept missing, kept missing. You kept thinking, "Goodness me, they've really spurned it." But hey, man, they took them all the way. Next thing I want to talk about, though, though it next thing I want to talk about is though uh, the red card, Alex, um, because uh, it was Rummer Freuler, seventy six minutes in, very divisive, as it turns out heated argument with Seb Stafford Bloor from the lion's den.
3: Yeah. Um, yes, it was divisive. It's, it's, I suppose it's becoming increasingly common to look at one's Twitter feed and see people going, that's the worst red card in history. Yeah. And you don't know what they mean by that.
1: I couldn't understand it's, it at all.
3: I mean, I think... As in, it was a red card? That is my opinion. Yes, yeah. I don't um, understand. But a lot of people are going to disagree with us. Um, Lots of people already did. Sure. Uh, I, I guess to me that you know there are there are two feet going forwards. The ball is kind of not really taken. I, I, the the main issue, I suppose, is the intent that that he's going pretty hell for leather towards the players' legs and. It's a bit—it's reckless, isn't it? And I guess sure. this is why it wasn't overruled by VAR because there isn't a clear and obvious error there that the referee's made. Under no. the, the laws of the game, a tackle or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality—brutality—must be sanctioned as serious foul play. Any player who lunges at an opponent in challenging for the ball from the front, from the side, or from behind using one or both legs with excessive force. Or endangers the safety of an opponent and is guilty of serious foul play, and you can yeah. very easily argue that that was excessive force, that it was a lunge, that there were two feet. Having said that, there will be some people who say, "Okay, well that that could have been a yellow," and I think probably if it had been a yellow, that wouldn't have been VAR'd up to a red either. Yeah, maybe. So it's just weird. I mean, the, the main I mean, point I mean, is it's a two-footed
1: that tackle. I don't you're, get it. You're asking, it yeah. you're
3: asking a, an individual on the pitch as a referee to make a decision. You're then, which obviously has interpretation and nuance and all of the rest of it in it, you're then referring that to VAR, which is another individual with discretion and nuance and all of that, to review that decision. And And so, but under the laws of the game, it makes sense that it's a red.
1: Yeah, I don't get it at all. I mean, like... There are a handful of people in the chat who who disagree. Of course, everybody is entitled to their opinion, however foolish the opinion is. But I don't understand. I mean, the player went in with two feet. It's a two-footed tackle. They're pretty much always red cards. Studs up on the on the underneath foot. It's his fault that he lets his following foot go through before, uh, before he hits the player. He goes over the top of the ball. I genuinely can't. I'm astounded by the reaction. And I'm astounded by Seb stafford blaw's reaction, JJ, because he was virulent in the TIFO WhatsApp mm. group chat that it was a red card. I'm quite sad that he is currently being eaten by lions and not here so that he can't defend himself. But I did get him to record a little message for us explaining why he thought it was a red card. And I'm going to play that. And I'm hoping that the, the microphone's going to pick that up. Here we go. Here we go now. Oh, and as as I've said that, my phone's turned sideways. Here we go. Not a red card for me because he's not. It was a red card, and that's the kind of analysis that we would have got if Seb was here. Why? Because I would have shut him down if he was in the room,
2: just like I shut him down on the WhatsApp chat. It was a red card, Seb, wasn't it, JJ? Yeah. for context, that message is about a minute thirty long, isn't it? And you cut him off after four seconds. Yeah, I cut him off after four seconds. I
1: did ask him specifically to go somewhere quiet and record that, and try to be as clear as possible so that people would be able to hear it. All the while, knowing, Seb, that I wasn't even going to let it play because it was a red card, and what I say is correct. Anyway, this isn't match of the day, JJ. Tell me about Spain's performance.
2: Uh, I think Spain are really good when they pass the ball quickly and have a bit of aggression to their uh, play. Sure. So, like, not as in the lunging tackle, which was definitely a red card, by the other team, (laughs) which is Switzerland. Yes, I knew that. I knew that.
1: Speaking uh, of the red card, though, this was interesting because it felt like beforehand, Spain were very controlled. Spain were on top of the game. They had it by the by the neck, right? After the red card, it felt slightly different. They seemed slow. They didn't react in the way that you would want them to against 10
2: men. Um, I think, uh, I should really know this before I even look at it, was the red card after the goal that Switzerland scored? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It was 76 minutes in, yeah. So I think Spain had started to do this thing they do where they don't, so let like I say, when they're really good when they pass the ball aggressively and at high tempo, and there's that real like uh, tip-tap, tip-tap to the way they're playing. As soon as they lower that, they become... Because they're so wide and open to be able to have all these little passes they can do. Like You saw the way that their wingers were hugging the touchline the entire game. So yeah. they're just trying to be as wide as they can and make sure they get the ball from back to front, through lines, like in control, control the game. Again, like if they control the game by having the ball. But as soon as they stop passing it with a tempo, it's easier to close them down and take them to one side of the pitch and close them. If you don't have any variation, it's not just all about being fast all the time, it's variation in tempo. Like being fast for a certain bit, and then slowing it down to control it and count it down. Then when, you know, pick it up, like a, I don't know, like a volume control, go up and down. I don't know why you'd be doing that on a volume control. Have it at one volume, stay there. <laughs> but they could do that on the football pitch, and that's what makes them good. But like, yeah, and you see that when they start to let it go, and that's when um, uh, the Switzerland win the ball, hit the pitch. Why have I forgotten that again? <laughs> and that's how they get in. It's, it's, a, it's just a mistake. <clears throat> there's also the defensive error. You could say that, um, uh, oh my God, the defenders are in a mix-up. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen their names. Laporte the and Torres. I'm
1: so sorry, sorry. I wasn't really listening to you. I was I the think I stopped listening to but myself. But well, there's, well, there's a reason for that.
3: The, the, that mix-up, and we had a look at it on, on the footage, and Spain are in possession prior to that goal, and... The ball comes in field, short pass, to a Spanish player who's going to control it and Torres drops away into his left to show as a passing reception option for that player and that player gets robbed of the ball and so Torres is out of position having wandered away from his player for no real discernible reason um, because he wasn't the only passing option but Spain was so focused on retaining possession and on how they play out, that they that, that Torres basically abdicated his defensive responsibility of staying with that man while the ball was okay in Spanish possession but still relatively close to the Spanish goal. And that suddenly meant that when that quick interchange of passes happened, Torres was then scrambling and then Laporte has to come over and help him out and that that's where mm-hmm. the issue comes from. But I think that's indicative of how Spain got themselves kind of into this mentality of, okay, we're in charge now. We make over 700 passes and we keep the ball and it'll all be fine. And that's their first thought. It's not.
2: So the right way of playing rather than trying to get the win almost like being obsessed with winning, just yeah, passing it around, stroking it about. Yeah. There's something that I don't like about them. And, and they were really good against Slovakia. Sure enough, they, were, they fell apart. Yeah. Like they were, I mean, they just crumbled. Um, but, there was a certain uh, temp- uh, just tempo, I think, just really, really, they seemed desperate to win. Like they knew they had to win and they were not going to let them go and they were uh, biting into them, ferociously cornered, like the Lions with Seb. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but Seb's fighting them off. Gorging on his flesh. He sent us pictures. He's doing very well. Mm. And uh, yeah, they're playing Italy in the next game and Italy are going to be really fast at them, aggressive, push them high, the, the one thing you could see about Spain in this game as well, not the one thing, as many things, but one thing you could see about them is Gerard Moreno came on as a sub at halftime for Sorabia. Mm. He must have been injured, was he, maybe? I'm not sure where he went off. I don't know. Someone stood in his foot earlier. Maybe that was it. But he uh, he missed two like massive chances. He missed one near post from about two yards, and he missed another from a, a corner from six yards, headed it with his shoulder. Like this kind of thing you shouldn't do if you're that level of a striker. And there's a problem, the same sort of problem I've got with with Morata, where they've all the ball and they create loads of chances, but they don't finish them. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it sounds very basic, but that is... Well, as evidenced by today, I mean, they've played
1: 120 minutes of football and penalties to get past uh, Switzerland. No mean feat, of course, France couldn't manage that earlier. But, you know, you would hope that, as you say, you have those two big opportunities there, finish it off in the game, don't play the extra half an hour.
3: Spain completed eight hundred and eighty-one passes. Wow! This
1: game—that's a lot of passes.
3: Twenty-eight shots. Yeah. Which that that level of dominance—you just shouldn't not win. Really.
1: You should be scoring more than one goal.
3: You really should. I mean, if yeah. you're if you're taking twenty-eight shots and you're converting one,
1: that's quite bad. Well, this brings me to my to my next point. Two things here, Alex. The first is that Spain actually have the highest goal creation actions. Per 90, I'm looking at you confused when I say that. Yes, that is the thing. Yeah. Of any team in the tournament, the highest goal creation, That you can tell us what that means in a minute. Okay. But also, here's another thing, as you were saying before about, you know, Spain being kind of obsessed with the right way of, of playing. Mm. Seb's left these lovely stats in here for us from the Lions Den. Uh, they also have the highest long pass completion rate at the Euros, which is fine, good passes. But they've also completed the highest number of crosses during the tournament, which is surprising based on how you think that they play. Because it, it sounds like... You know, going, it sounds like we're going back to the old Tony Pulis conversation. That's wrong for sure. Explain to me why.
3: <laughs> no, it's not wrong. Um, yeah, so they've... they've Not only do they have the highest pass completion rate for long passes, but they've also completed the most. Mm. So they're the most accurate, but they're the biggest by volume too. That's yeah. quite unusual. Yeah. A lot of that is down to Aymeric Laporte. Um, really? He has two main passes. And as JJ said earlier... The way Spain like to play is that the the wingers stay very, very high and wide, um, kind of like old school Pep Guardiola stuff. Yeah. Before cutting inside. And Laporte will either look uh, to kind of turn back inside with his left foot and hit raking balls across to whoever the right winger is, because although Ferran Torres started on the right, him and Sarabia swap. Like every 20 minutes or so, they'll swap sides. yeah. Um, or he does this long pass, which is sort of back inside and then up the centre of the pitch through the left half space as a sort of dink over the top for a player to run into. Um, sometimes it's Pedri, other times it'll be like Maratta coming across. So this is very much a way that they progress the ball upfield and then they all rush up to join that. It's kind of like their get-out
1: card. Tell me about the get-out card after this break. We're back from the break. And all I want to hear about, all I've been thinking about during the break, Alex, was the get-out card.
3: Yeah. So you can't always pass your way out of the back nicely. Um, and if you have uh, a centre-back who is very good at these long passes, think uh, Liverpool and Virgil van Dijk. Sure. It, it's a way of accessing your wingers, because if your wingers stay very, very high and wide, which Spains do then you can isolate the opposition fullback or if the opposition fullback is pushed up as part of a press or part of a block, sometimes you'll find that those wingers are actually behind or or closer to the opposition goal than the fullbacks are. So having a pinpoint accuracy centre-back who can play that particular pass with their left foot to open out that angle Mm -hmm. is a really effective way of progressing the ball up the pitch. And what Italy then like to do is come back inside from that position. So they make all of that ground up. Italy? Sorry, Spain. There we go. Thank you. They make all of that ground up. You're welcome. I've corrected you. You're welcome. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's so good that you're here to catch me when I fall. No problem. Um, Then the rest of the team rushes up. Pedri will sit in the left half space and recycle that possession. And and this is the problem. If that were Italy, they would just, and I meant Italy there, Mm -hmm. thank you, Mm -hmm. um, they would just take a shot straight away. Sure. Uh, it, when it's Spain, it's part of a plan that tends to necessitate the rest of the team catching up and then creating something a little bit more intricate. Sure. So A
1: lovely circle.
3: Yeah. So it's a way of getting the ball up the pitch, but I don't think that they capitalise it on it in quite the way that they could do.
1: That's one of the good things about Spain's centre-backs, JJ, the passing volume and accuracy. Hmm? But, <laughs> but, 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 but. I want to hear about issues for Spain now, because sure, sure, good team, yeah? But they've got problems at the
2: back. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this in one of the other podcasts that we've done, where we mm. talked about how Laporte is basically brand new to this squad, because yeah. he was French until about four weeks ago. Mm. And then also, I mean, they're playing Eric Garcia, uh, who is clearly very good with the ball, but I don't see him as being anywhere near like hard enough. Um, maybe he is. But I don't see it. Sure. Um and then Pau Torres seems a bit not lightweight as well, but it's there's something you can you can definitely body him and get him out. Like I don't think a big striker's a wouldn't be uh fear to playing against. I I
3: think he is lightweight. Yeah. I think he he's he's often linked with Premier League clubs because he's a very capable passer and he's good at bringing the ball forwards. Um but if you actually watch him play week in, week out, you just think he would get he would get bodied in the Premier League. You know, and that's not Linden like... Lot. That's what oh, they said whoa. about
1: John Stones, though. And then he got good. Um,
3: he, yeah, he's, he's good. But also he plays alongside a much more physical centre-back. And so, generally speaking, the other centre-back will take the one... Because most Premier General League point, scenes... though, Can't
1: you just send them to the gym? You know, can't you just give them a sort of lifting exercises and then they yeah. get stronger?
3: That's true but sometimes if you add too much muscle mass then you're taking away from other aspects of their game maybe they just have a lighter frame I mean like Ruben mm. Diaz is built like a brick outhouse cuz he's got those sure. broad shoulders and everything like you
1: It's not just the muscles it's just it's his, it's all of his
3: bones Right exactly so uh, so yeah I would say Torres is
1: lightweight Yeah
2: all right yeah. I need defenders with more bones Yeah <laughs> That would really help He reminds me a bit of like Victor Lindelof That kind of, you know, Man United, very good with the ball, but it was quite there.
3: But that's why Lindelof tends to step back and and sweep, Yeah. and Maguire takes the man, because most Premier League sides will play with one striker up front. So you can do a man-for-man on that one with the more Mm. strong physical... Big lad.
1: Big lad. I mean, Maguire is a big old lad, isn't
2: he? Well, the other thing... I mean, it might just not be that... I think if you put balls into the box against that Spanish centre-back pairing, I think there's... I think you can not bully them, but you can definitely win a fair share of battles against them. That's not solely because it's just how the two of them play, whichever pairing is there. It's often because the way they play and when they slow down and you can tackle them high up the pitch and they're very exposed... So they're they're vulnerable. So it's not you know if you're playing against if you're playing behind that two get behind a very defensive three and one of the the mm. fullbacks tucks in or something you're going to look a lot more solid than you do when you're trying to play more expansive football which is not quite at the same rate. Yeah. And everything with like Spain as well like Luis Enrique like you know they've got this association Spain with playing that kind of ticky tack away they don't play that way anymore they still like yeah. to keep the ball and they like to to move it around constantly the ball has to move constantly so players have to move constantly and that's how they they play you know they. They stop at halftime. That's when they stop moving. Yeah. But Enrique at Barcelona, his is best team there, it was quite direct. Like they they kept the ball they needed to, but they went from back to front very quickly. Yeah. Which helped, I think may also explain some of the long passing. And also they'll move the ball to one side of the pitch and then switch it with another reason with it. So it's all about getting from back to front as quickly as they can. But then a lot of teams now sit off them a little bit and try and stop them playing through uh, through lines so they don't really have an option. I don't know, like their The centre-back's probably... Yeah, that would be their weaker point, even though they have good individual centre-backs. Because yeah. often defending is not just the case of one person, it is mm. the team.
1: You know why he likes the long balls? Why? Because uh, he's uh, Luis Enrute
2: up the top. Yeah. <laughs> I, want to, I want to yes and you there, but... It's not hopeful. No. Though.
1: Alex. Hi. Speaking of hope, Jan Sommer had a good game, didn't he? I felt a bit bad for him. He had a good game. He did. Uh,
3: he made 10 saves in that game, which is a record uh, for this tournament. And he's made 15 in the knockout stages, uh, which is the most by any goalkeeper in the competition's recorded history, according wow. to Optar. Wow. Yeah. Um, and yes, he, I mean, it just seemed like Spain versus Zoma, really, yeah. didn't it? Um, and some of those saves, He he's quite a, he, well, he's often quite a, proactive goalkeeper he likes to come out and narrow the angle but what impressed me was because uh, Switzerland were dropping so deep and he quite often had a defender really close in front of him yeah Uh, Akanji I thought did well making a lot of blocks and stuff but that meant that quite a few of those saves uh, I'm thinking of the Moreno volley were coming from really close because Switzerland were holding such a deep line that they kind of was had no space, to be. And yeah. so it was all just pure reaction stuff. Mm. Uh, and he did brilliantly. He's very unlucky to, to be on the receiving end of a defeat there.
1: I mean, on Switzerland as well, you feel a bit bad for them, don't you, JJ? Because Granite Jacker was suspended, of course, who's maybe their best player, right? And also, added to that, Braylon Bolo went off with a hamstring injury about 25 minutes in that's a shame. That's two two players who are the best players at helping them make things happen.
2: Yeah, I mean it's not even that they are the best players. It's that like Jacker controls the game. Yeah, so he's the guy in control of everything for them. He takes the dictates the tempo of how they play. He can uh, spray the ball whenever he needs to to get him up the pitch when he needs to. And, uh, and on that note, that's exactly what um, Mbolo brings as well is yeah. that he drives the ball he carries mm. it you saw it in the first game against Wales the difference he made at half time he just, just told him to drive in that space and doing that took them up the pitch and relieved the pressure so when you're playing against Spain who are pushing you back and they push up I mean the goal came from them pushing slightly higher up the pitch yeah. and, and getting their luck with that Um, yeah they really yeah so not having the guy controlling tempo of the game and controlling the passing and then losing the player that can carry them up the pitch made a really difficult task far too hard
1: yeah Shame. shame. Yeah. Well, there we go. Switzerland will always be remembered for knocking France out. That was fun and exciting, wasn't it? It uh, was fun. I was also I was wondering if uh, somebody put a tweet out. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember the author, but wondering uh, if this was the first time that uh, a team would have been the first time that a team could have won two penalty shootouts in a row in knockout stages of a tournament. I can't remember a team that have done that before. Switzerland, of course, haven't done it, so it doesn't matter. But um, they came close. They came close. Anyway, points are bad. They're not that bad today, but they're quite bad um, for JJ. They're Has he for you. came? No. Alex had a perfect score for the... Um, That's why. I think Seb has changed my points to Roman numeral points and I can't read that So, It's
3: 124
1: Okay, thanks to the private school boys for being able to read my Roman numeral Thank you, I assume it was you Seb Very funny, I don't like it It's not fair to mock people for being poor or poorly educated And, uh, you know, not a good uh, spend of your time when you're should be dodging lions down there in the London Zoo Uh, Anyway, bad day for JJ because Alex has opened the gap up further to nine points from six. So he had a perfect score on the Italy-Belgium game. He said 2-1. It was 2-1. These things happen. I was at a pretty decent one. I said 3-1 Italy. Only one point gained there. Only one bad point. But yes, I'm on Roman numerals now. Uh, Alex is leading the pack on 94 JJ following up on 103. Oh my god, Seb's gonna catch me. And Seb's on 108. He also had a decent enough day. Seb's also been kind enough to uh, to send in his uh, his PAB predictions. We're calling it PAB now. Points of bad PAB. Uh, his PAB predictions for tomorrow. Uh, Seb says Denmark uh, 2, one Czech Republic and England 1. Nil Ukraine. So JJ, I'll come to you first for your PABs for tomorrow, please. PAB me, uh, Denmark uh, versus... No, 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 wait, 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 Can wait. Can you first? You're absolutely right. You're, I remembered that as you were making that face at me. Yeah. Alex, you should be going first here. Uh, PAB, please, for Denmark, uh, Czech Republic. 3-1 Denmark. 3-1 Denmark. Hot diggity dog. Okay. And uh, England, Ukraine, please. Two 0 England.
0: Well, there we Denmark
1: go. have got
3: the ball in the opposition box more than any other team so far, and have the third highest xG
1: four. So, sounds like you should be predicting Czech Republic, JJ. Alex is using statistics to win
3: this. Yes, he does. And care. I should have done this. Do you know where well, I got those statistics from?
1: You know, Joe, don't you? Your parents' house. You know- <laughs> what? No, I don't know what. What? It's the end.
3: From the Athletic.
1: From the Athletic, did mm. you? Is it? Would you say it's fair to say that the Athletic is helping you win this game? In part. At such a low cost. Anyway, tell me, JJ, what you think about uh, Denmark-Czech Republic, please. <clears throat>
2: uh, I, I think it's going to be definitely... <laughs> agony on your face, riddled with I agony. I really, really want to not finish. Go, 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 uh, go. Denmark, what did you say? Two. I, said
3: three, one. I said 3-1. Seb said 2-1.
2: Denmark... Uh, two. Czech Republic.
1: Three. There we go. Yeah. See, this is not far from what I was gonna say too. But you beforehand. England, Ukraine, please. Two nil, England. Two nil, England. Same as him. That's not a good tactic. Oh, no, that's I was you said you've got to catch up. You've got to oh, catch well, up Oh, I can't with him. do
2: that. Okay. Uh, uh, four one, England. Yeah.
1: Again, great. You're going to be sticking nuts, with no, me I'm, here. Yeah, yeah, well, it's good, good for you to know that your approach is very similar to mine because I'm doing <laughs> excellently well at the game. My score's so big, it's in Roman numerals. Okay, for me, I'm going to say that the Czech Republic will beat Denmark 2-1. I think that's going to happen. And also, I'm going to say that England will beat Ukraine 7-0. LAUGHTER
2: Oh, you're See, drunk, man. <laughs> now I push it up, Joel has to go the extra mile to make it funny. Yes, it? I know, I know.
1: Thanks, I was hoping not to gain six points tomorrow, <laughs> but I will be now. Right, there we go. Yes, as uh, Aaron in the chat says, Alex is in JJ's head now. I would say living rent-free. Rent-free. Pab-pab-pab. This yeah. is where the game is fun. At the beginning, it was just a, a silly game. We didn't understand the rules. And then there was the song, then there was the second series, and now there's a psychological breakdown. It's very exciting. pab Anyway, Alex Stewart, thanks today. Thank you, Joe. And JJ Bull, the Bullman, thanking to you. Thanks. (laughs) Oh, your whole body clicked. That was (laughs) a weird sound. it into action. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about those big, big games. Very exciting. And uh, who knows if Seb will be here or not. We just couldn't say. Maybe he'll be in another difficult situation. Uh, But for now, we'll say uh, thanks as usual to our crack production team of Craig and Sol. And there's Sol's hand there. It's a lovely hand, right? That's the end of the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Bienvenue. Ciao. Toos. Other things.